everyone. Welcome back to America Mao and the Metaverse with the Pauls. Mr. Schulte, how are you? What's Good, 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 good. Did 53 of your closest friends resign in the last 48 hours? Did you have a problem like Boris did today? No, I did not have my entire cabinet walk out the door and uh, write dirty, rotten notes <laughs> I the public. I think it's quite amusing that the new Chancellor of the Exchequer, with the first thing he wrote on his new stationery was, was to, just to say how crap his boss was. <laughs> yeah, I know, right. And, and, and please get out. Yeah, right, yeah. But yeah. simply remarkable. I've been saying for a long time, trying to doing my damnedest to put myself out of business, that in a lot of ways, sort of geopolitics doesn't really matter that much to markets. And you saw, not that not that the pound's been benign, but it's very hard to say that you've had significant pound weakness over and above what's happening with the dollar based on this. But I know you've got some thoughts on all of this sort of thing, mate. I'd love to love to hear them. Well, yeah. So I think that you and I have seen this in the last you know, 25, 30 years, and that is that the policymakers are responding. They're responding to something that they saw in whatever, probably February, March, which was sort of the last push of all the spending from COVID and also the Russian war in Ukraine, which really caused inflation to explode. And then you've had the response. And, and so what I think is going on here is that the response is coming late in the game. They should have been tightening last September, October, when I was at the Milken conference with Randall Quarles, who was adamant that inflation was transitory. He was adamant that there was no need to tighten. He was adamant that why the party is just getting started. We're just getting things on track. Why do you want to kill that off? We're just getting things on track after two devastating years. And of course, he's the vice freaking chairman of the Fed. And, and that was being said loud and clear to everybody at the Milken conference with great confidence, right? High degrees of confidence. There was not like, if this happens and if this happens, we're, we're vigilant. There wasn't, there wasn't even any of that, right? And so what we have now is that we have this, we've had a very profound tightening. The rate of change of tightening is like unprecedented. And so I think that even if the policymakers paused or reversed themselves, and I've been telling you for months, I think they're going to do that. Mm. I think this is going to be the shortest tightening cycle we've ever seen. And yet, this is like the, the car that's on the side of the road, like in the movies when, when the guy's gunning it and he thinks, oh my God, I think, he can, I think he's going to be able to pull out of the mud so he doesn't go over the cliff and, and fall into the ocean. And it's like, but then you see, like in Jurassic Park, the thing just keeps on going down the, 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 the hill. And I think what's going to happen, unfortunately, is that even if you get like a, a pause or reversal sometime between now and, and not very far away, September, the middle of the middle end of September, the car is starting to fall back down the hill. And it's really muddy. It's going to be really hard to pull the car out, right? And the car is not going to be able to gun itself, that's for sure. So is the tow truck cable going to snap? Here we are. I think we have to lay out scenarios of what's going to snap. Because I think we are going to see things snap. Uh, just because there's been a lot of excess of buildup, the damage to gas and oil consumption from the, the Russian war is devastating for Europe, especially for Germany, Italy, Spain. And so the question that I have is, where are we going to see these, these fault lines, the, these potential snaps? And the first one, which is headquarters, is, I think, the European utilities. I think these are problematic because it is politically impossible to pass through these 
these obscene increases. I mean, you look at the kilowatt hour for Germany has gone from record highs today, record uh, highs uh, uh, around 40 to 400. So we've had a 10x increase in, in kilowatt hour costs for Germany. Spain is ridiculous, Italy, yeah, and, and those are the three countries that, that are the most dependent. Uh, and yeah. so the utilities are going to have to get bailed out. And so you saw, I think, two German utilities were bailed out. And so yeah. the question I have... Well, the, French, the French announced today that they plan to take on, on 100% of EDF. Right? Correct, so French, correct, correct. Uh-huh. That was, that's, that was right. that's right. That's right. And there's a 9 billion euro bailout of the German gas company. And by the way, I was reading about that, and, and, and I was reading the annual report yesterday just because I had nothing better to do. And the annual report was like, hey, we're going great guns. <laughs> Everything's fantastic. We had a great year. We're looking forward to 2022. We're paying out a big dividend. We, the offside, we, the offside we, we, we in St. Petersburg next year is going to be a doozy. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to be going to Sochi for, 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 for a spring offside, yeah. And so uh, it just is hilarious. And we're paying down our debt. And now this company has basically gone down 80%. It's done. It's done. And so, so I wonder, I'm going to think out loud here. I think that we're going to get some sovereign problems just because the, the weight going on the sovereign of, of some of these utilities is going to be very problematic. These are extremely expensive bailouts. And of course, you saw that like Deutsche Bank has gone down. Deutsche Bank is now at 70, 770 again. These, these are approaching some of the old lows. That, that was a 13 euro stock at the beginning of the year. And so the, like Deutsche Bank is feeling great pain right now. And so, so we have to begin to think about what kind of financial events can happen between now and September that can really cause us to have a crisis. I think we are going to have a crisis. I assume we're going to have one. I assume we're going to have a panic. I assume it's going to be some sort of financial instability. I have one client telling me he thinks it's going to be an exchange, some some sort of exchange. Possibly, I think it's going to be utility-related in Europe. In the UK, you've had a couple of people. I, I, I passed you that note yesterday. You've got a couple of people talking about a sovereign crisis in the UK. I think that's a little bit far-fetched. But but I, I think the new prime minister is going to have nothing but bad choices on his plate when he comes in, and, and then and then in the U.S. Uh, I I think it's going to be uh, commercial real estate is where the potential fault line is, and Japan is just in like cuckoo land. So just that they, they, well, they're just funny, in that. It's funny you say that. So yeah, for those of guys who don't know Randy Quarles, Randy is a Chicago guy. He's a wonderful, wonderful human being. <laughs> And you just described, and as you said, he was obviously a Fed governor, a Fed governor back in the day. But what you described, you know, that Randy should have been maybe the deputy governor of the, the Bank of Japan. They are holding the line. The way you described it was very Japanese in this regard, as in we've been waiting 30 years to get inflation and we're not gonna, we're not gonna cave on it now. And I have a lot of sympathy for that. I really have a lot of sympathy for that because I, you can make an argument that inflation is being fought yep. in many parts of the world with tools that cannot affect the inflation that's being generated, right? So European, European electricity prices are not, are not a monetary phenomenon. They are a war phenomenon. They are an infrastructure phenomenon. They are not just classic supply-side issues. 
Yep. And but I think the Japanese, in, in some ways, are look. They're holding their nose in a, in a in the face of a very painful and smelly situation. But they know that a country with that bad of demographics is not having demand inflation at the moment. It is predominantly supply inflation because they import all their oil and they import all their gas, right? And that's the reason we're facing this. And I think that. I think that the prospect of policy error, particularly by the Europeans, which, again, you want to talk about a policy mistake, Lagarde is rapidly, rapidly getting her picture up on the on the, the wall of central bank infamy next to her good friend Jean-Claude Trichet by raising rates for arguably for the wrong for the wrong reasons. And look, they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't, because in one breath, the last, last policy meetings, they were talking about tightening policy and buying bonds at the same time. Makes, makes, no, makes no sense. It does not make any sense. If Italy is such a problem, you can't raise rates. And I think it's in, this whole thing remains incredibly, incredibly problematic. I think we're transitioning now to a, a very nasty sort of period because we've had the, the full employment recession, as I call it, because it was driven by, by massive hits to real incomes because of the inflationary shock where even if you had a job, you couldn't make ends meet. And you may have had full employment, but people, let's face it, U.S. had negative growth in the first half of the year. May not be a technical recession because Q Q two might eke out a small gain. Might no uh, way, no way, no way. Right? So Q two so, is going to be minus two. Yeah. Right. So we're in recession now. We're in recession now, and we've got full employment. That's basically due to real incomes. But as we transition to a, the more garden variety recession, a recession that's driven by a tightening of financial conditions, a recession that's driven by massive reduction in U.S. fiscal deficit, a dollar at a twenty, the dollar at the twenty year high. The good thing from a market perspective, Paul, is there's there's a playbook for that, right? Because in the previous six months, there was nowhere to hide. The safe haven assets got smashed. Yen got smashed. Bonds got smashed. Swiss franc got smashed. So all the safe haven assets struggled. But if you're going to a garden variety recession, something we've seen before, which is driven by tighter by tighter liquidity conditions and a, and, a, and, a, and a shrinking deficit, well, we know how that works. Duration duration works in that environment. Are we about to see? Was it time to to buy the yen again? Because eventually, as you've just as you've alluded to, if growth continues to struggle like it is, eventually the Fed's going to slow this down, and that slowdown might be from seventy five to fifty, then fifty to twenty five. But eventually, the Fed is going to pause if we're going to have a continuation of no growth in the US and EU going forward. Eventually, that's going to lead to the demand driven inflation to go to zero, if not and if not lower leaving us with supply inflation that, 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 as we've said, central banks can't control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. And I, I also think that, like I said, I'm, I'm operating on the assumption that we're going to have some sort of breakage between now and and usually what happens is it, it just is weird. These things usually happen in the between the second half of September and the first half of October. And so, like, again, I think we need to put on our creativity hats I think the possibility of a Chinese major failure is 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 up there. Some of these conglomerates are just caving in on on their debt, and so we're seeing a, a lot. Watch that high yield market in in, in China uh, on the dollar high yield market. They're, they're really exploding up. Some of these bonds are trading at six. They've gone from ninety to sixty in two or three weeks. So so I, I think the, the the conglomerate real estate. Chinese angle is one fault line. I think that the American commercial real estate is another fault line. And I think the European utilities is another. And so those are the things that we should be looking to to sell or, or to be really focusing 
carefully on. In the UK, it's weird. I mean, you, you, you better than I do. You're, you're sitting there. I, when I read that, it was the deputy editor of the Telegraph. I sent it to you. And he, I mean, this is the number two guy at the Telegraph saying that he's predicting a sovereign default, for God's sake. So I, that, that was kind of weird. That was yeah, sort of weird. I, uh, you know, I don't know where that's coming from. Matt, I'm a bit of a, I'm not a big advocate for these moral hazard arguments. I think things can get a little nastier from here. Credits, look again, credit at 600 over is, is not dire. If we are going to be in recessionary environments, 800 over is probably the most likely outcome. Equities, equities with slightly with lower multiples and certainly with an earnings an earnings compression in the next three quarters, I think is 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 valid. But mate, let me let me go let, look. Let's look forward. Like let's look forward, say three quarters or so. The exciting thing for me, three quarters forward, is for the last ten years we've had what I call a pancake flat risk curve, i.e., that you got paid X sovereign bonds yielded X, but risky parts of the curve, whether it's mezzanine finance, whether it's project finance, whatever it is, just yielded only a little bit above X. So the so the curve, you weren't paid to take risk, right? Well, what yep. we're left with now is with high yield at 600 over, well, that's not a basket of US high yield, for example, is yielding 9%, right? You double your money, you double, you hold that stuff for eight years, you double your money, right? That's that sort of thing gets that sort of thing is getting interesting now. Obviously, you've got you, we've talked both talked about this a default cycle coming. But someone said to me said to me a couple of days ago, if you can get if you can get investment grade at five percent and lever it two times, right? That's a compelling that's a compelling strategy, right? For a lot of people. So I think that the exciting thing for me is that we have you know where we are priced today, and I think this is only going to get worse as as growth slows around the world. You're paid to take risk, and you can you can actually generate a lot to take risk. So I think there's we're going to come out of this at the end of the day with assets, a bunch of assets that are really cheap. EM's going to look EM's going to look cheap. High yields going to be attractive. We know about the stresses in energy markets about funding energy projects. I mean, the ROIs on on oil projects and gas projects are going to be are going to be fantastic. Mate, there's some some exciting things now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exciting times. I agree with you completely. I think that's absolutely right. I just wonder, just and, and again, it's a question of timing. And so when I was at Lehman in 2008, we had to wait through the summer and then September happened. And it was uh, whatever, September 10th, something like that. It was your birthday, you said, right? When is your birthday? September, September 18. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah, September 18. Yeah, you're a Virgo as well. And so in, in the Asian crisis, it, it was after everybody came back from, from, from summer holiday that the markets began to recover right in the first week of, of, of September and for, from a collapse in August. July and August is not a time to be bottom fishing on anything. It's just a bad time. No, no. It's designed to ruin people's holidays. Whether it's whether it was China, whether it was China's whether whether it was China's deval the three percent the three percent deval wasn't a deval in August yeah, right. now that was late August of 2015 if I remember correctly yeah yeah that, yeah that, yeah, that, yeah. Ruined, that ruined a vacation I remember yeah. being on in a bachelor on a bachelor party in Amsterdam in 2004 and in August and that got ruined as well <laughs> you know? yeah yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so I I, th- I think that I think that that we're just we get these things and it's just weird. It's the second half of September, first half of October. I have again, I, one of my clients is extremely bright, very good investor, and he thinks it's going to be an exchange that's going to sort of short circuit possible 
Coinbase, I just don't know. But Coinbase is is a cash machine, and Coinbase Coinbase's stock just goes down every day. Coinbase went to fifty, and Goldman Sachs did that at four hundred. Yep. Right. We've gone from four hundred to fifty. That is a stock price that telling you this is going out of business. I, I'm not telling you it is. The stock price is. It's I don't funny. know what, what the hell's going on. Yeah, it's funny. Mike, I saw Mike Novogratz was on the tape earlier on this morning talking, saying the worst was behind us. Now, obviously, well, I would say Mike obviously is talking his book, but he has... Of course he's talking his book. He's he been has a, no credibility. He's been, a, he's been a sensible voice in all of this, frankly, compared yeah. to certainly compared to your your friend Michael Saylor and the like. Yeah. So it's, so no, I think that... Look, I think there's more... There's do, do, do you buy? Do you buy what Novogratz is saying? No, not really, because I, I think mate, I think that there's too many fragilities in the model. I think you're going to be left with you are going to be left with a bunch of evangelicals who are who are going to own this all the way down. I think a lot of the the losses of I think there's I think there's two types of people who own crypto. There's the mega rich who own crypto who are who've been long for who've been long Bitcoin from. 10 years ago. Years, years, been long for years. They're not selling. And then there's the latecomers, the vast of which are the vast majority of which are underwater. And I'd say probably most of those guys are out. There's obviously going to be pockets of people who continue to buy. And I think you think there's more leverage in the system than I do. I think that there's it's hard to see that the what if the the leverage is not out of the system yet. But mate, just but just to be clear, I mean, someone said very eloquently recently. Two years ago, Bitcoin was at was at at eighteen thousand, right? How many stocks do we know have round tripped in the last two years? May have tripped, may have doubled in value, and then down sixty five percent back to where they were two years ago. Most of them, a lot, right? So it's, you yeah, know, to put, it, yeah. To put that into context. Now, not many of them had trillion dollar market caps or free floats like like Bitcoin did at the time. But it's not uncommon. I'd make the argument. Obviously, this proves that that Bitcoin is nothing more than a than a leveraged, a leveraged, unprofitable tech company in terms of its, in terms of its correlations. But is it is it that bad? Again, and maybe it's just look. I mean, there's nineteen thousand coins. Probably eight thousand nine, eighteen thousand nine hundred of them are going under, and that's probably a healthy thing for the world. So if we're left with Bitcoin being the predominant store of value instrument. We can argue argue that the merits of that, but it's certainly the most qualified to fall under that camp. And then you have a dozen, two dozen coins that are based on on platforms that are the they're going to be the the framework behind smart contracts and the like, and they can work. But everything else is everything else is a, is a data fraud, and oh, it's done. It's over. Maybe that's a good thing for a more sensible world. I kind of waved off my clients early on in the year because I just read an article from Vice.com. It's actually a pretty good website. And somebody had done a feature, had gone through the ABCs of all the fraud and and uh, malicious behavior that was going on in crypto land. And that was back in, I think, February. And so I read that and, and I just was like, holy shit, this is really bad because you've got, you've got a lot of bad money chasing out good money really quick. And so the, the fraud got out of control in the latter half of 2021 and into 2022. And I, I think a lot of that's cleared out. I agree with you. The Coinbase is a pretty good, I think, indicator of where we are in the leverage clean out. Uh, I've had people tell me they think it's bottoming out at around 50, 60. I don't know. I, I, 
But to me, it, it, it's worth hugely more than sixty because it's just got it's just, it's just a remarkable cash machine, yeah. and it's got no debt, and 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 it's got a, a, a fairly small capital structure with no debt, and unless there's unless there's hidden leverage there, which is possible. But but the return on their investment capital is fantastic, and so yeah. and yet you're just looking at something that went from four hundred to fifty. Yeah. Goldman Sachs been pretty good about downgrading some of these things recently as well. <laughs> that's nice. That's always that's always a good. It's always a good. Now again, it's 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 very easy to be critical of companies that take that go public, uh, banks that take companies public and then downgrade them when they're at the beat lows. Okay, then they deserve criticism. They deserve criticism. Yeah. No, that's completely. It's that's it's, completely. it's laughable. Yeah, it's interesting to see. It's there's been so much excess. I mean, we can talk. We could do a whole. We could do a whole hour on spacs and the demise yeah. of spacs and all this sort of stuff. But is is are we, are we are we returning to a sensible world at some stage? Who knows? Well, I think we are, but I, I just think I just feels to me like Paul, we're going to have to crawl over some glass. I strongly believe that we're going to get a crescendo event that's going to be the bottom pretty quick in the next ten weeks, next next eight to ten weeks. So there's no there's no rush. I, but no. I think you have to get your cash ready, and don't be too afraid to jump in when it when it when it's horrifying. Because I think we're going to get there. And I again, we have to pick our our we have to do game out scenarios of where we think those fault lines can occur. So when they occur, we're not panicking. We're saying, okay, we anticipated this. This failed utility can undermine this government. Here's what they're going to do. This, this this failure of a $30, $40 billion diversified property company in China, okay, we, we know what the Chinese government's probably gonna do. I don't I don't have a good sense of, of what is gonna play out in the UK. There's a lot of banana peels on the floor in the UK. There's a lot of yeah, I think, that can really think the sovereign the sovereign the sovereign the sovereign default arguments, I think are very I think they're flawed, right? Uh, yeah, I just don't see that happening. But yeah, but again, there are there are going to be shoes to fall. How does your week look, Mr. Schulte? I'm going to spend some time gaming out some scenarios. You know, I was struck because I don't think the UK, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think the UK ever recovered from the botched merger of RBS and Santander and, right. um, and, and the Dutch system. <laughs> I think all of that has just been a, an anchor around the, just a, an anchor pulling down the rate ship of, of England. And so I, I think that the financial system is, in the UK is still very weak. It's still very sick. Well, mate, and, and one thing we are losing sight of is that the Brexit, Brexit, Brexit's a problem here, right? And yeah, Bre- put it this way, Boris and Boris is uh, sort of square the circle on, on Boris. I mean, Boris's legacy was, was obviously his handling of COVID. But the reality is that if, if it wasn't for COVID, Boris probably wouldn't have survived here because the issues around Brexit are front and centre. They've just been hidden because of the last two and a half years of, of dealing with COVID-related, COVID-related issues. And he was utterly politically expedient about his approach to Brexit. Anyway, he had no view on it. He just knew it was a good horse to ride in on. And, and so he just jumped on it. And, and, and you know, it just shows that gross political expedience will come back and bite you in the ass. Yeah, exactly. Mr. Shorty, have a wonderful okay. week. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, okay, mate. Thank Bye. you. Good night. Bye.